0: We're continuing our study of Nehemiah. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there. We're going to be looking at some of the verses we looked at last week and a few more as well. We're talking about brokenness. I was heartbroken. All of us have said that phrase before. Maybe for you, you're heartbroken when you didn't make the team or you didn't get the grade or maybe you didn't get into college or the program. Maybe for you, it's when you thought the promotion was coming your way, and then someone else got it, and you're heartbroken. If it's been a while since you've been heartbroken, get ready, because college football is about to kick off again. <clears throat> and no matter who you root for, at some point, it's going to break your heart. It's kind of part of the game. We know that. But for some, that wound, that, that pain, being heartbroken, goes deeper than just not getting a promotion or losing a ball game. For you, maybe it's when somebody you trusted, maybe your best friend betrayed that trust and now your private pain is public knowledge and you're heartbroken. Or maybe for you, life is good, you're doing well and then your good health just goes away because you've got that diagnosis, that illness or maybe you're that horrible car wreck. Everything comes to a halt. And you're heartbroken. Sometimes our heart breaks, not because of ourselves. Sometimes it's because of what happens to someone else that we care for and we love. And our heart breaks for them. Sometimes we just look at our own lives and our heart breaks. It's brokenness. Last week we began our study of Nehemiah and several of you commented on the video. I hope if you've not looked at the Bibleproject.com. You'll look that up and then look, click on the link for Ezra and Nehemiah. Eight minutes long is a great overview of the book and what's happening because the historical context of what's happening in Nehemiah is very important because all of this happened after the people of God, the children of Israel, turned their back on God. Assyria and Babylon took them over, wiped them out, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, took all the people into exile. Then, years later, the Persian Empire is now the great world power, and they allow these people of God to return home to go back to Jerusalem. But it had been 140 years. For for them, then, it wasn't really going back because they didn't, those had died, they had not lived there. But they still wanted to go back to their homeland. So the book of Ezra tells us about the first two waves of people that go. Zerubbabel led the first one where they restored the temple. Ezra led the second one. He was described; the Bible says, skilled in the law of Moses and the hand of the Lord was on him. So restoring the temple was great. Learning about God and his teachings was great. But a city without walls was just a sitting duck. And really a shame and embarrassment to everybody who lived there. Because that was the normal for a city. So these people, no doubt, had heard stories about how great Jerusalem was. And how magnificent the temple was. And those glory days. How God blessed them. And so they wanted to go back and restore that. That's the setting of what's happening when the book of Nehemiah was written. Nehemiah the cupbearer to the king. Not simply a human guinea pig to the king, but someone in a very important position. So much so that with these first two waves going back, he wasn't a part of that. He stayed behind. He stayed there serving the king. And then one day, all of that changed. One day changed everything. But before anything could be done to rebuild Jerusalem... What was needed is what we see here happening in chapters 1 and 2. Nehemiah just comes clean with God. His heart breaks over the situation. There's this massive rebuilding of the city that needs to happen because Israel has forsaken God. But what I want us to notice here is that Nehemiah's brokenness before God is the key to rebuilding. It's almost like you've got to have your heart broken before you can be rebuilt. And Nehemiah helps us to understand that all of us are guilty. They're all guilty. And he talks openly about that. Now, the Jewish people had compromised God's teachings, God's laws in all sorts of ways. One of which that's mentioned specifically in the book of Nehemiah is that they would marry outside their faith. Now, they should have learned from Solomon the ruin that happens from that. But they didn't. And the destruction, it was just so much going on in the wrong way. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. It was terrible news. Now, that word brokenness is usually used in a negative connotation. You don't long for that. You don't want that. But there's also a sense where it's positive, where it's good for us. Sometimes we know we can be in a situation where we'll say, I had to hit rock bottom before I could start going back up and rebuild. So there's a positive sense to that as well because it causes us to do better. One man wrote this about his basic training when he was 18 years old and joining the Air Force. He said, quote, I can describe the military basic training experience in one sentence. It's all about breaking a person down and rebuilding him from the bottom up. And then he goes on. The breaking down process begins immediately upon arrival and with intense discipline and training They rebuild you into a soldier. So we learn from Nehemiah then that God uses brokenness to rebuild us. Now, God wants to do that for us today. This is kind of a spiritual truth that is timeless. He wants to renew us from the inside out. He wants to give us a new heart. If you call from the Bible Project video, it talked about the theme and and what's going on and, and what is the book written for. Because it ends in kind of a peculiar way both books do. It points us to the truth that Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the other prophets would write about that God wants us to have a new heart. God wants to give us his heart. And that's what this book is leading to. That's what the message is all about. So open your Bibles to Nehemiah. Follow along. We're looking at 445 B.C. King Artaxerxes is the king. And God is going to do some amazing transformations in Nehemiah <clears throat> Excuse me, and the Jewish people. So if you look at your outline there, I want you to notice three different things to fill in. Nehemiah is brokenhearted first for the people. Nehemiah is brokenhearted for the people. In your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah talking, verse 1. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. As I was in Susha the citadel... That and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah learns that those who went back to Jerusalem. And the words of the report are in great trouble. That's terrible news for him. Terrible news for all the Jews. Both those who had already gone and those who have not yet made that pilgrimage. Waves of people had gone back to rebuild the city, to start over. But it wasn't going well. In great trouble and shame. Another translation says great distress and reproach. These people have been displaced without homes Without protection, without dignity, and Nehemiah's heart breaks. Verse four, it kind of continues there, how he wept and mourned for days. We talked about that, how he prayed, continually, prayed and fasting for the next two months, next four months. Nehemiah shares his heartbrokenness with God. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time your heart broke for people? When's the last time your heart broke for people? Maybe it was a child neglected by their parents. Maybe it was a woman abused by her husband. Maybe it's the poor in our own community. When people are abused or deprived or just not able to have dignity, maybe they lose their homes, their jobs. You see that injustice? We want to do something about it. We know they need help. They need hope. And our heart breaks for those people. Do you ever have your heart break for a friend, maybe a relative, somebody close to you? They're on top of the world, and then something happens, and they just tumble, and your heart breaks for them. Maybe your heart breaks for somebody who's deserving of work, maybe well-qualified, and they're working hard, they're interviewing, they get their name out there, but they can't get a job, and your heart breaks for them. Or maybe your heart breaks for someone who's going through an illness. Maybe they had surgery and they keep having complications and it was supposed to be easy and everybody else comes through it so well and yet they seem to have trouble after trouble after trouble. What do you do in those settings? Well, you feel for them. You love them. Your heart breaks for them. You pray for them. You come alongside. You do what you can to be Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet for them. If they're not following Jesus, you pray for them to come to know him and the life that he promises them. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Look how this verse opens. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The love of Christ controls. That's the ESV. The NIV says, for Christ's love compels us. What that original word means is to urge, to hold together, constrained, occupied. And even use example, it can be a disease, like when your body is constrained by a disease. So the love of Christ takes over, is what he's saying there. It compels you to do things you otherwise wouldn't. God can break your heart for people whom you may have never thought you could love. His spirit moves, his spirit works, and it happens all the time. People who maybe didn't even care and know about folks in another country, they go on a mission trip, and they're forever changed. Or maybe they spend just a few dollars a month to sponsor a child, an orphan in India or Honduras or Nicaragua, and now their life has changed or maybe they're just volunteering locally, with Meals on Wheels, or serving at a school or some other organization, serving those in need in our own community. Maybe you work in our own church food pantry. But when you start caring for people, you see names, you see faces. It's no longer just ideas, it's people that you hurt for, you care for, you have a passion for these people. Well, how does that happen? When you are a completely committed follower of Jesus, it is basically a lifelong rebuilding project. The Bible calls that sanctification, but that's really what it's talking about here. But step one is he puts his heart in you. Where you think, you see, you feel like you never did before. So you may have been a Christian for decades, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are mature in Christ. Because as you grow in the Lord, as you grow in Christ, you start loving people the way He loves people. You value people the way He values people. And it changes the way everything you do because it's not your heart any longer living inside you. He has given you this new heart. Nehemiah's heart broke for the people. But also notice this Nehemiah's heart broke for the city. The second part of verse 3 says, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. His heart broke when he heard the news about Jerusalem. Now, for you, it may be a long time since you've had your heart break for a city. If I say 9 11, you're not thinking about September the 11th, you're thinking about one day that hit. A few places. You may have never been to New York City, or the Pentagon, or Pennsylvania. But on that day, your heart broke for the people in those communities. Is that not exactly what happened with Nehemiah? Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. Not that we know of. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But he had heard countless stories about his people, where they came from. And now he's hearing these terrible reports. And the emotion just comes out now. He's not in the first wave. He's not in the second wave. As far as we know, Nehemiah is just doing well in the palace. But now he hears the report, and his heart breaks. Why? Because God had placed that desire in his heart. See, we think about just city. Well, that's just that's just a, a, a government. That's just buildings. That's just streets. That's just a geography. And in some ways, that's true. But last week in our small group Bible study, we were talking about tornadoes and and different ones we were thinking of. And one person in our group just said the word Tuscaloosa. And everybody knew exactly what they were talking about. That horrible storm that killed so many people, not only in Alabama, but also Tennessee. But all that was said was Tuscaloosa. So we use the same words today. We use a city's name to talk about the people that live there. It's more than just a town. It's more than just streets and buildings. It means those people. Nehemiah knows the answer is not to give up on this idea of rebuilding Jerusalem, of going back to the homeland. That could easily have happened. But why Nehemiah? Why? Who? Who is Nehemiah? I've read this book a number of times. I hope you have. Just going to get an overview, at least recently, to remind yourself of the stories here, but there's not much there. Who is Nehemiah? What clout does he have? What power does he have? What family does he have? We don't even read a lot about his faith background. Who is Nehemiah? And how did he get that position? I mean, he's an exile. And he served in this very prominent position right next to the king. Why him? Did God orchestrate placing Nehemiah so close to the king and then give him his own heart so at the right moment, when that devastating news comes, why did his brother come 900 miles back? So all these questions kind of come to mind. Was God not working in every single detail? Do you think God still works that way today? Might God place you in a job, in a position, in a group, in a neighborhood, in a family, in some setting, so that you as a man or a woman after God's own heart would be the one that at the right moment would step up And say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done. Because now you've got God's heart living in you. You can be the Nehemiah. When you hear the news, it breaks your heart. You're not thinking about some other side of the world, other side of the city, or not in your neighborhood, or not in your family, or not in your house. Your heart breaks for them. And you don't dismiss it because you've never done that before. Nehemiah had never been there before. But it didn't stop him from acting. Now you're looking, yearning, compelled, controlled. That's the word in the Bible. By the Holy Spirit to do something. Nehemiah is heartbroken over the condition of the city. It's embarrassing. It's unsafe. It's very discouraging. But I want you to notice something about him. Even though he is broken, he responds with such optimism. Such a positive spirit throughout the book. He's not negative and he doesn't even sound defeated. Now, he's honest about the trouble they're in, the difficulties there. But through it all, what you read is a level of hope. Look in chapter 2. He goes to Jerusalem after three days, verse 11 and 12. So I went to Jerusalem and there for three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Let me just kind of put a pause there. You ever wonder about that phrase, God put in my heart? That's where it comes from. God puts things on our heart when his heart is living in us. But notice his three days, the next several verses kind of gives the details there. He's inspecting the wall. He's inspecting all the gates. It's not a good sign. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Don't you love that positive spirit? It was so needed. It had to be contagious, because the people in Jerusalem, they're discouraged. They're defeated. There's no way for them to do well. And here's the reality. We all love to be around positive people, don't we? We're drawn to them. And just the opposite. We don't like to be around the complainers and the naysayers and the negative people. We're kind of repelled. We try to avoid those kinds of people. But here's Nehemiah saying, we can do this. God has put this on my heart. The king is giving us all the resources. God's hand is upon me. See, being brokenhearted is what fuels you to turn to God in prayer. That was our takeaway last week. And that's when the rebuilding happens. So Nehemiah was brokenhearted over the people, over the city. But also, I want you to see, he was brokenhearted over their sin. The sins of the nation. The sins of the city of Jerusalem. But get this. Even his own sin... Back in chapter 1, we read this last week. Part of his prayer to God, verse 6. He's praying to God, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Do you hear his confession? Do you hear his repentance? Repentance. In that prayer, he's not playing the victim. He's not blaming others. He's not passing the buck. Well, my parents or my grandparents, you don't read that at all. Yes, his forefathers turned their back on God, abandoned his ways, got what they deserved. He's not rationalizing at all. In fact, he includes himself in this confession of prayer. He acknowledges his own need for forgiveness. See, this is much more than a city wall or gates or the economy of a city of Jerusalem. What he's talking about is the spiritual health of the people. And when you go to God in prayer and you begin, as we learned from his prayer last week, you adore God for his holiness, for his perfection, for being the God that he is. When you are aware of that, you can't help but be aware of how you are not your unholiness, where you blow it, your sins, and that brokenness is what opens the door to the rebuilding. King David was a man after God's own heart, yet he was far from perfect. And you remember that prayer in Psalm 51? It's very blunt, very open, very raw prayer about that fiasco with Bathsheba. And it just oozes out, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. That's what leads to repentance. You can talk about repentance and confession all day long, even baptism. But if you don't have a broken heart and that desperation, remember we talked about that last week as well. That since I can't do this on my own, that's when you call out to God. Those work together hand in hand because we can't make it on our own. We can't save ourselves. We are not enough. We can't do enough. And when we think about God's holiness, even our best efforts are a joke. Remember Isaiah's words? Isaiah 64 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our unrighteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. I read about a man named David Grubbs. He served as a Bible pre- professor and then president of Cincinnati Christian University. He would sometimes tell his students this Whenever I sin, it just reminds me that I do not love God enough. Whenever I sin, it just reminds me that I do not love God enough. Think about that. Greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In that moment of weakness, temptation, selfishness, pride, whatever you want to call it, is when you're choosing something else more than God. Brokenness. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in Bible to get it, but you do have to have a new heart. Because then... You no longer make excuses. You're not trying to rationalize. You're not blaming anybody else. You're not trying to say it's okay. Everybody else is doing it because even our very best moments are like rags. So as we study about Nehemiah, I can't help but see he is a great role model for every one of us. Even today, he shows us how God rebuilds through prayer and brokenness. So let me close with two questions. And the first one is, especially for those of you who are a Christian, and you've been a Christian for for quite a while, when was the last time your heart broke over your own sin? When was the last time you were brokenhearted over your own sin, heartfelt pain and remorse Maybe even brought tears to your eyes, or at least turn your stomach. When you realize you don't deserve heaven. you deserve hell. You deserve for God to turn his back on you to leave you in exile. You're heartbroken because your sins before God. I hope that when you see the beauty of the cross, you are reminded of the ugliness of your own sin. And even when you eat that bread and you drink that cup, it's a reminder that he did this for you. So here's the second question. And this could be for the new convert, maybe the longtime follower of Jesus, but yet not quite a Christian. Do you believe that Jesus can forgive all of your sins? Do you believe Jesus could forgive all of your sins? Because you've been to church enough to know all the Bible stories. You've read them, how God created everything. God saved Noah and his family with the ark. God was able to split the Red Sea, and the children of Israel walked on dry land. You know how when they conquered Canaan, it was victory after victory after victory. And every time, the odds were stacked against them. And then you turn to the New Testament, and Jesus is doing miracle after miracle. From the water to wine, to healing the sick, to bringing people back from the grave, feeding the 5,000, even coming back from the dead himself. You know the stories. You believe all the stories. And you have a hard time accepting, believing that God can forgive all your sins. Well, if you knew what mess I made, if you knew what I've done, there's no hope for me. Satan just propels those lies constantly. I can never feel fully saved or convinced I'm going to heaven. That is from the enemy. You don't read that from God. For some, it is easier to believe that Jesus came back from the dead than it is to believe that he forgives all of your sins and that you can be fully washed and fully clean. You continually wonder, how could God love me, knowing all I've done? Two verses I want to share with you to close. If it helps you, you might want to write the uh, references in the uh, inside of your Bible, or maybe a post-it note, you can keep them handy. Romans 8, 1, you know this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those, and notice the phrase, in Christ Jesus. That phrase also appears in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you are in Christ, God rebuilds you. He creates you. Max Locato explains it like this. As Christians, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Union with Christ means the creation of a brand new person mysteriously intertwined with Jesus. He removes your heart, poisoned as it is, with pride and pain, and he replaces it with his own. When you give Jesus your heart, he gives you his. With that in mind, look at Galatians 3, 2.20. You know this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When you make Jesus your Lord, Jesus moves in. Jesus gives you a new heart. So, if you are already a Christian, as we sing our invitation song, I want to challenge you. Believe and accept that Jesus dying on the cross was enough. Don't look at him with your sin and him on the cross and say, it's not enough. You believe that his dying for you was enough. Stop being paralyzed by guilt for something God has forgiven you years ago. Many times you've already asked Him for prayers for that. Instead, you be grateful for your thanksgiving, for your forgiveness. You accept that new heart. The challenge for you might be that you start loving people like Jesus loves people. And then you live every day confident that you are forgiven. That when God sees you, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's his plan. That's his goal. That's what the Bible promises. And every day, with gratitude, it just flows out. You're so thankful for his amazing grace. But if you're not yet a Christian, I want to challenge you. Admit your sin. You know it. God knows it. Admit it. You cannot save yourself. You need Jesus. Brokenness leads to repentance. That's changing your life, changing direction. Allow Jesus to take your brokenness and to begin rebuilding your life. And it begins by you giving your dark, tainted heart to him. And you accept his heart. Now, that takes a lot of trust. And trust is just another name for belief. To believe that Jesus died for you, that Jesus wants to give you his heart, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died to save you from your sins, if you believe that the God of heaven wants you to live with him for eternity, I beg you to be baptized, confess, let him make you that new creation, give you his spirit, and you can live every day with his heart. Whatever you need, once you come, as we stand and sing to encourage.